Centrally Speaking is the Central Schwenkfelder Church's podcast. It speaks about issues that would be of interest to our society. In particular, it addresses how a Christian worldview intersects with Western secular culture. In the spirit of the church's founder, we take the perspective of the Middle Way, which is in agreement with the historic Christian church. I'm Dr. Drake Williams, Minister of Mission and Theology at the Church. Our website is www.cscfamily.org. My three guests today are Reverend Keith Williams from Nazarene Baptist Church on Germantown Avenue in Nicetown, Philadelphia. Reverend Alfred Duncan from the Schwenkfelder Missionary Church that meets on Tulpahocken Street in Germantown, Philadelphia. And Reverend Dr. David McKinley from Central Schwenkfelder Church. Let me introduce uh, each one to you. Reverend Keith Williams has been pastor for over 36 years at Nazarene Baptist Church. He holds a Bachelor of Arts degree from the Augsburg University, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and a Master of Divinity degree from Palmer Theological Seminary. Reverend Williams has served at the Mount Olive Baptist Church of Glassboro, New Jersey, and was able to serve as an adjunct chaplain and Bible expositor for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Philadelphia Phillies, and 76ers. In 2007, he was elected to be president of all the 42 state convention presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention. In 2015 and 16, he was elected and served as president of the National African American Fellowship, once again, of the Southern Baptist Convention. His involvement in the field of racism and reconciliation is well known. He was a contributor to the book, Removing the Stain of Racism from the Southern Baptist Convention, published in 2017 by Broadman and Holman. He is married to Constance, and they have three children and two grandchildren. Uh, His family, along with um, uh, Keith, as well as his mother and grandmother, were in the Emmy-nominated film, Unchained, Healing from a Generational Trauma. Reverend Alfred Duncan is also a graduate uh, from uh, Eastern University and Palmer Theological Seminary, where he achieved a a Bachelor of Arts degree and a Master of Divinity degree. He has led the Schwenkfelder Missionary Church since about 2016. Before this, he was actively involved in the First Schwenkfelder Church, now called First Worship Center, that meets on 30th and Cumberland in um, the Strawberry Mansion section of the city. He and his wife, Phyllis, uh, are involved in regular outreach at the Happy Hollow um, Recreation Center in uh, Germantown, where they're constantly uh, cooking food and uh, delivering um, clothing uh, to those who are in need. Alfred is also the chair of the Schwenkfelder Ministerium. And I'm joined by uh, my good friend and colleague, Reverend Dr. David McKinley, who is senior minister here at Central Schwenkfelder Church. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. I wonder if you could uh, expand on this about uh, how racism has become embedded in our culture. Mm. Uh, a word that's been thrown around, a phrase that's been thrown around uh, these last few weeks has been systemic racism. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if you could comment on that uh, that phrase and then uh, maybe illustrate it as to it, how you mm. see it or, or, or how you would express it in, in our culture today. Yeah, I... Um, I think, you know, give me an example, um, educational inequalities. Uh, I was blessed to grow up on the main line outside of Philadelphia. Um, maybe about 15, 20 years ago, um, my high school built uh, an $8.4 million football field. I passed a church in North Philadelphia where the kids don't even have books. Um, the educational inequalities, uh, because... Uh, Monies for education are, you know, you get state, you get federal funding, and then a lot of it's based on the tax base. 
and um, the property values around my church in North Philadelphia are vastly different than the properties values of where my high school was in Berwyn, Pennsylvania. And so um, the opportunities uh, and inequities are not there. And, and the prison prognosticators go to the first grade classrooms and, and inner city schools all over the land. And um, this was a quote by a guy named John Path. He was a Fordham Law School professor. He said, uh, in every 10 days, there's a prison built in America. It's the most, uh, 4% of the world's population, 25% of the world's prisons are in America. And most of the people incarcerated are black and brown. And Michelle Alexander, she wrote a book, a good book to read, called uh, The Pipeline from Prison, The Pipeline from School to Prison. I was going to say the prison prognosticators go to the first grade classrooms and see how many black and brown boys can't read. And they forecast how many more jails they're going to use. Because if you're uneducated, you're unemployable. But you still want things so the seeds of revolution grow up and crime rate, if there's no hope, and I'm uneducated and I'm unemployable, the crime rate goes up, thusly the prison population. And when they privatize prisons, uh, all of that is economically based. Michelle Alexander in her book is called The New Jim Crow. Instead of picking cotton, we're making 30% of Boeing airline parts for 84 cents to $3.25 a day. And so uh, education determines occupation. I served as, as director of community outreach at Germantown Academy, the oldest private non-sectarian school in the nation. And I said to the head one day, and we were dialoguing, I said I was, tr I was bringing kids from North Philadelphia to this private prep school, $30,000, dollars $35,000 a year. And I said, um, uh, my kids go here, but the kids in my church go to school that don't have books. And I need to get more of our kids here. And the, the kids, we were bringing them to the door, but they were two years behind. Smart kids, but they were two years behind because they didn't have access. They had computers that were 1980. You know, they didn't have access. So what we did is, uh, and I'm in deeply indebted to the board, they decided to help us plan a school. Same curriculum, culturally sensitive, in North Philadelphia. Today, last year, we completed a $13 million school. 300 kids in there now. Every year, um, raising $1.6 million with less than a 1,000 donors. It's a miracle. Kids are student-to-teacher ratio 1 to 6. GA is 1 to 8. Public schools 1 to 35. And you, you fear you don't have a safe place to, to educate kids. You got drug dealers outside. Or and you don't have opportunity to expand their minds. You know, my kids were gone to Spain and Portugal and Netherlands on school trips. The kids in my church were going to one trip a year to the Philadelphia Zoo. So educational inequalities, that's one way, and, and dealing with pipeline to prison. So if we do away with the tax base and, and, and invest some of that money, and, and then show you, and even in Philadelphia, about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they, they made five football fields, $5 million apiece in, in, city, in the city. And, um, but our kids don't have books. It makes sense. We want to showcase the inner city athlete, but he can't read. 
I just wrote a, for me a small definition of, of systemic racism. Systemic racist, racism, I wrote, has more to do with group and organizational matters than with individual practices. Beyond that, this other part that you mentioned, we are encountering something that has 400 years of history to it. It has 400 years of history to it, but it's continuously being perpetuated. Let's mm. keep it going. Let's continue with certain things that are are clearly racist. Let's find ways of saying that we value them. There's nothing wrong with them. They're part of the culture, so forth and so on. We see, need to maintain them. Now, this is something that is probably be very, very hot and not in this setting, but in some other settings, I'm quite sure I would get in trouble. We were talking this week. A group of people just ended up on my porch, my wife and I. You know, we were sitting outside and we were talking. And of all things to come up, the Star Spangled Banner came up. And it's not news to a lot of people, but it became news to some of them that we, that, that we, that we were talking about 400 years of racism and the history of it. One of the reasons I would say that it keeps going on because you take certain things and you hold to them, you value them, and you just want to keep it. And so we were discussing the fact that um, we all agree that the third verse of the Star Spangled Banner mm. is extremely racist. Mm. It is. We all agreed also, too, though, that America would not stop using the Star Spangled Banner. We all agreed that from a theological point of view and some theological circles. Matter of fact, I was taught this in, in, in seminary. Mm -hmm. That sometimes you can take a psalm or a song or a statement and just by stating part of it, it carries forth the message of the entire thing. My God, my God, why art thou forsaken me? That's the first mm -hmm. verse. But it kind of connects you with the, the entire psalm. If I say amazing grace, how sweet the sound, the, the other verses come to mind. And so for people who are familiar with who are asked to sing or listen to the first verse of the Star Spangled Banner, connected with that, we cannot get away from the history and the origin of this, of what this song was written for. You know, some slaves had joined with the British Army, and mm -hmm. the man who wrote it had a big problem because they were losing in that, they had lost that war, and subsequently he, he, he writes this song. Again, I say this in a very, very sensitive, sensitive way, but when we sing that, those who know what it's about know the history of it, we always reconnect it back to a very racist period of time mm -hmm. and something that was written to uphold. You have to hold. I don't know if you all know. You, you know the third verse to the Star Spangled Banner? I've read it before. Okay, yeah. yeah. And so and so something like, so anyway, so if you have, you have the idea of it, I think we encounter things, but things like that keep 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 racism and things yeah. going. Mm -hmm. Now somebody be ready to knock my head off certain people if I said, let's stop singing the Star Spangled Banner. Why? Because of what it represented, what it was written for, what 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 is what what it says that what it says to African Americans. You know, we have an opportunity to fight for freedom of what we believe in. You're gonna hunt us down and kill us like you know, like dogs, and and call those who are supporting what we were trying to do. I'm not supporting the revolution. They they were just trying to you know get free. You know, and say out their blood is polluting the land, or your blood is polluting the land. All these, all these kind of things. It's terrible. Do I think stuff like that is going to stop? No, I think it's going to raise the ire of a lot of people. And more and more, I do. I seriously believe this. More and more, the African American community is going to raise up and speak out about things that mm -hmm. that are confronted with right up in our face all the time. They say we don't value you. 
you know. We, re we, we really don't. And we say, well, get rid of it, you know. You want us to get rid of ours. Why not get rid of the symbols? Why not get rid of all of it? And so I don't know where this country is headed or what things, things are going to happen. But, uh, yeah, 400 years of history, 400 years is too long. And it's too great of a price to pay to hang on to things that per perpetuate this. Consider it. Whatever form they come in, system, systemically, politically, religiously, the form of it doesn't matter. The fact of it is what matters. And that's where we are. I think one of the things that contributes to racism, I'll just speak from my perspective, I grew up in a uh, small, uh, pretty homogenous community in southwest Missouri. Um, there was one African-American in the town growing up, and I think fear um, is, is the product of uh, unfamiliarity, mm -hmm. that when you are not around people that are different than you, when, you d when you're not given the opportunity to get to know, mm -hmm. to befriend, to dialogue, to talk, mm -hmm. then the position of, of um, the default position is apprehension or fear and uh, you know this Derek Chauvin uh, I was listening to the news last night and they interviewed a, a man uh, that knew both George Floyd and Derek Chauvin and they asked him uh, what was Chauvin's attitude toward blacks and uh, the person said he was afraid and mm -hmm. and and so I, I think that fear produces Racism. I think that um, unfamiliarity produces racism. So the best thing for, uh, I'll say the best thing for me and, and my attitude toward the African-American community is to get to know them, uh, to get to know this brother over here, to be able to serve with him, the late Ed Winslow. I've known Keith for 30 minutes, and uh, I think he's great. So... Um, there is a way that, you know, uh, the Lord uses that uh, to help. Amen. And I agree 100%, by the way. I'm mm -hmm. not just, just saying that. Can I say something also? When, when I say that I agree 100%, this is the first thing I wrote down before I started answering questions because I just agreed with something that you, that, that you said. But the first thing I wrote down, and I said I wanted to look at it as I was answering this question, are our responses based on biblical and moral principles, mm. or are they concessions to pressure and the prevailing views of those who have economic, racial, social, or political consequences that they can impose upon us? And I only say that because I just agree with you, and I really agree with you. But in having these discussions, depending on who you are, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you are really not speaking biblical truth or moral principles. You're, you're responding out of a pressure because of the consequence of how you speak. But sometimes there is there's a pressure, again, to be very careful about what you say or what you do or what you don't do, even, even, how, even, even how we worship because of the mm -hmm. consequences that can, that, that can yeah. come. I remember Frankfurt, the Missionary Church in South Philadelphia, watching our worship experiences for year in and year out. And then I would watch the times when we had visitors coming there. Sometimes the, the Swainfold churches would, would come there. And it always bugged me that why typically 
when we're doing a program, we have services. The freedom and the spontaneity of worship. You don't mm -hmm. have to stick to the program. Right, Somebody out right. of nowhere, something right, like that, right. would, sing, uh, would just jump up and, and sing a song and things like this. And that never happened when we, had, when we had the fellowship services. And it bothered me so much because studying black sacred music and social change, mm -hmm. the freedom and spontaneity mm -hmm. of that is one of the things that was one of the components right, of right. that. And yet somehow or another, we unconsciously or whatever or pulled away from the very thing that was so helpful to the people that we were try, trying to serve. And so in answering these questions, I didn't want to bring the same thing, same thing into it. So I go back again when I say, I agree with you 100%. A lot of this is because we fear one another. We don't, mm -hmm. uh, we don't know one another. But, and, this is what I, and this is what I'm talking about when you talk about it. But what I'm finding out is we can spend 20 years with one another and I find out you still don't know. Yeah, two, two points just quickly on what you were saying with in my experience with the worship experience uh, my culture is not respected many times in order to 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 feel like you're accepted you have to give up your culture thank you that's and, what i'm and, talking and about i sure. determined i'm not going to do that sure. i went to a place and preached one time and i was just if i invite you to preach for me i, don't, I want you to be you sure i'm inviting you sure in uh, in whatever way you articulate the agenda of the almighty um, and I had a situation where, you know, the guy said, can you tone it down? Cause, and, and what it was, he was afraid of his donors might be offended and, and the heat he might catch from it. You know, but then don't invite me. I wouldn't invite you and insult you and say to you, you got to act like me. No, I'm inviting you because I want you. And, and, and the way you uh, uh, express uh, the word of God, and many times we feel like our worship has to become white. And so when I preach at Southern Baptist Convention, I'm going to be me. And, and I'm act just like I'm at Nazarene. Sure. Now, I can be Charles Stanley, sure. you know, give a, you know, you know, in mild in manner and just exegete and just sure. not with no expression. But that's not me. Sure. That's not my culture. And so the other piece is uh, every, every black, white, red, or green, we got to settle the bread issue. Matthew 4, 4, man can't live by bread alone. Amen. And, and I didn't, you know, early on in my ministry, I, I said, I'm not going to be a puppet or a pimp. I'm going to be a prophet. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to be a prophet. If, if, and I'm, and, and I'm going to settle the bread issue. That means it's an African-American colloquialism for sustenance or moolah or who's going to take care of me. You know, and when I came to our church, and, 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 you know, it was God that put me there. I didn't even put an application in the church. God put me there. If God put me there, and I said this when we went down to um, meet with a Christian uh, congressman in uh, D.C., if God puts you in Washington, just like the pulpit, he put me in the pulpit, put me, put you in, in public square, only God can take you out. Now, you've got to use wisdom in when you, what you say sure. and how you say it sure. and what have you, but judgment's on me, First Corinthians 9.16, if I don't tell it like it is. Amen. I don't lay it out. I, I have a prophetic not a pathetic ministry. And so you got to settle the bread issue. And, and if I figured if God can, can supply Elijah uh, his needs with room service in the wilderness by a dirty bird, a raven, he take care of me? Really? I mean, I'm one heartbeat from standing in front of Jesus. I might as well go for broke. Paul said, Philippians 1, 21, for me to live is Christ. I die with Christ. If I suffer down here, you know, uh, he said, the sufferings of this time, I can't even formulate a thought in my mental muscle to begin to articulate the glory that anywhere I go, I win. So I might as well go for broke.
They installed the new executive director at the Southern Baptist Convention, new president. I said to him at his installation, they gave me five minutes to preach. I'm not used to preaching five minutes. I ain't even cleared my throat in five minutes. And so I said to him, he, they said, Kay, you can have a little more time. Said, no, 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 no. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. If you say five minutes, I'm like, Holy Ghost, give me five minutes. I preach. They were gambling, betting. He can't do five minutes. I said, no, no, no. Lord, Holy Ghost, help me because it's going to be a miracle. Four minutes, 59 seconds, I sat down. Gave him a minute, a second change. The spirit of the, if you come, if I come to your church and you say, Keith, I need you to give me five minutes. I'm going to give you five minutes. Spirit of the prophet is up to the prophet. So, you know, uh, but but we got to sell the bread issue. Black, white, red, or green. And I know some of my white brother and the deacons will check them if they say something that, that they don't like. No, 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 no. You're not my boss. You didn't call me. I was appointed, Acts 20, 28, by the Holy Ghost to do what? Feed the church of God, which was purchased with his blood. And many, many, and it goes all the way back to your calling. You, you, you know, I don't have an Eli call from across the hall. I, I wasn't down and down south looking up in the sky. I saw a, a GP and said, go preach. No, it meant go plow. No, I didn't. I, no, <laughs> it, it has to, I terminologize my calling as an unaltered conviction that I don't have a choice. I have a choice, but I don't have a choice. And if either we're going to trust God or we're not. And we all have that tension. And that's why we need each other. Hang in there, brother. Stand strong. Amen. And let the, let the chip fall where it may. You've got to learn the language. I was a mission field. Right. They trained us. You learn the language. You learn the culture. Remember, sure. it's not wrong. It's just different. You know, we're not, we're not trying to Europeanize everybody. You cannot. You know, and, you, and so I'm sure, you know, on a mission field, there's cultural distinctions. And if you don't know that. You're, it renders your gospel ineffective sure. yep. because you can't speak. And we had to learn some of the language. I, I, I preached for the Filipinos. They had a convention in Philadelphia, and they asked me to come preach. And I stood up and I started singing the national anthem, Philippine national anthem. They went off. Where he learned that from? The connection. Learn the language, the culture. Yeah. It's not exactly. wrong. Just different. Same thing. Okay. But when I had roommates, six roommates, uh, no, nobody looked like me. We just learned each other. This is, this is really important. Okay, I, and, uh, since uh, the spirit of the prophets is, is subject to the prophets, I'm going to ask the I last know. question here, gentlemen, uh, oh, okay. for, this, uh, for this one. But uh, doesn't it just all come back to understanding? Um, is some of our listening today uh, to this um, are in the suburbs and uh, they, they want to be supportive of what is uh, going on to help bring racial uh, rec uh, reconciliation uh, um, isn't it about understanding? Maybe you can make some comment about that uh, just as we bring yeah, this uh, yeah. to, to a close. Yeah, briefly, let me just say, uh, the history of the matter, if, if the church would have stood up against uh, institutional slavery and what have you, we wouldn't have a lot of these problems. And, 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 and our denomination in particular, they, they developed the sociological construct. They use it to justify theological orthodoxy and orthopraxy. And, and in other words, they supported slavery. And, and that's when our conventions split. And the dehumanization of a person and treating them as property as three-fifths of the person. So, so it, it, to move forward, what do we need to do? Number one, we need to pray because it's spiritual warfare. Bottom line, hearts ain't going to change by passing laws. You can't legislate righteousness. Uh, wrestle not, Ephesians 6, 10, 18, flesh and blood. So I, I said we, we need passionate persistent fasting and prayer because this is a battle and 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 we got it got the uh, the, uh, the agenda of the almighty has to be primary uh in issues of race and injustice to help people uh, visit the african-american museum down in dc we spent two days there 
it was just and and still didn't uh, take in you know learn some history about it michelle i mentioned michelle alexander's book i mentioned uh, uh the doctrine the documentary unchained uh learn something about history about jim crow and slavery and civil rights and police brutality um uh, and then building relationships that's how i built relationships with people as brothers and and we talk about things from a christocentric perspective uh um you know this is what we're doing uh, uh, this is what the scripture says, help a brother out. I'm seeking to understand, not to be understood. I'm speaking and not offending and listening and not defending. Developing a relationship, like my brother said, uh, uh, being friends, going out to dinner and, and talking and fellowship. And that's, I've built a lot of relationships with people that doesn't look like me as kingdom citizens, you know, and then uh, serving together, you know, and then standing up and speaking out. You know, all of us have spheres of influence and it's going to cost you something you know, about issues of righteousness and justice because when the heathen can't hear us when we holler about the holy because of our hypocrisy, That's you know, and calling the church uh, uh, to a greatest commandment revival. You hear a lot about the Great Commission. You don't hear a lot about the great command, greatest commandment because inextricably linked up in how I feel about God is how I treat you. First uh, John 3.14, we know that we've passed. The Gideon indicator that we've passed from death unto life. And we love the brethren. You know, it, 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 ain't no sense in looking at the White House and the church house not together. Like I said earlier, this is dress rehearsal. And so a greatest command of revival, uh, whatever sphere of influence. I was talking to one of our leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention the other day. You, you're in some rooms I'm not in. And you got to stand up and check uh, in love. Uh, uh, people that are supporting unjust laws that are oppressing people. You got to stand up for righteousness and justice, and then that's where the bread issue comes in, and you got to be willing to pay the price. It cost Jesus his life, and the Lord said to me, "I don't know how you expect to to anything else. The servant not greater his master. They hated me without a cause. I don't know how you expect anything else to to change." Uh, you're going to be treated any different than I'm, I was treated if you look a little bit like me. And so listen, learn, build relationships with one another, uh, serve with one another. Uh, our people come together and serve to one another. View each other as kingdom citizens because this is not our home. And, and the Bible talks about Matthew 24, 12, when iniquity shall abound, when lawlessness is the law of the land, the love of many. And I'm glad he said, well, wax cold. I'm glad he said many and not all. My prayer is God enlarge the remnant. Amen. We need a revival. And uh, Rick Warren said, until America deals with their original sin of this sin, and it's, it's it, you know, let us not love in word and tongue, but in deed and in truth, uh, revival won't come. You've been listening to Centrally Speaking, a broadcast ministry from the Central Schweikfelder Church in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. Our website is www.cscfamily.org, and we encourage you to see our website for service times. If you're in the area, we warmly welcome you to join us. We've been speaking today with Reverend Keith Williams and Reverend Alfred Duncan about racism. In our next broadcast, we will be speaking about reconciliation. We recommend to you the documentary, Unchanged Generational Trauma and Healing, as well as the ministries of these two fine gentlemen. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us.